you would, please take your Bibles back out this morning, and I'm not telling you to turn to Daniel, I'm telling you to turn to Ephesians this morning, Ephesians chapter 6 to be specific. There's a reason I am doing that this morning, as we, if you were with us last Sunday, you know that we were looking at the end of Daniel chapter 10, and Daniel was giving us a peek into, or at least the angel revealing the vision to Daniel was giving us a peek into the spiritual world and the actual battle that was going on during that time as we learned from that paragraph from the end of Daniel 10 that yes, Persia is a real enemy, yes, Greece is a real enemy, but the real enemy is the power at work behind those kingdoms. That's the real enemy. The real enemy is that fourth beast from chapter 7 that we're dealing with that is a world system or a system built on principles directly opposed to God that is working evil throughout human history. So that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with the spiritual realm of things, and so I thought it might be helpful for us to spend at least one or two Sundays refreshing ourselves on Ephesians 6. Because if it's true that the primary battle is in the spirit with spiritual beings, then it's good for us from time to time to be reminded, what are we fighting? What is the battle? What, what, what is the warfare that we're engaged in? Because so often it's so easy to make it against people. We're fighting people. And beloved of God, we've got to, get it, we've got to drill down into our souls that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities, spiritual forces, that the person in front of you is a person in the image of God, but they're bringing arguments sometimes that are otherworldly. And so how do we deal with that? Because that's what the real battle is. That's the fight of our time. The fight of the Christian church is not necessarily the cultural agenda. It's the forces behind those agendas, those agendas that want to work evil. Do we need to stand up in culture and, and try to make the culture better? Sure we should. Of course we should. We should have a voice in politics. We should have a, a voice in the town square. Of course we should. But let us remember that that's not our primary fight. That's not our primary fight. Our fight is in the spiritual realm, and we fight with the power of the living God. So we are dropping into Ephesians, and if you are with us, you know I don't do this often. I don't like dropping into a book. I like building the context, but unfortunately, I don't have time to preach Ephesians 1 through 5 before we get to where we are in 6. So just trust me that Paul, this has been a crescendo. Paul has laid out all the ethics and theology that he wanted the Ephesian church to learn and then he gave the imperative, so starting in chapter 4, you get these imperatives that start saying, okay, I've, I've told you that you're in Christ. I've told you all these things that are true about your relationship with God. Now, here's what you have to do. And so chapter 6 is the end of that. We don't want to see chapter 6 separated from all the other stuff. It's actually, it, it, it's the landing spot. So since all these other things are true, and you can go back and read chapters 1 through 5 at a later time, this is what it means for us. We have a fight. We have to fight. And it's powerful. So without further delay, I want us to get right to the text, Ephesians chapter 6. We're, I'm going to read verses 10 to 20 this morning, but I will not cover all those verses today. But I want to read it for the whole context of it. So beloved of God, here is God's infallible and errant word, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
but on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, the words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So ends the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing. Please join me in prayer. Father, what more fitting words could we pray than the Apostle Paul's words here of Give us grace, give me grace this morning to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Give us all grace and hearts and ears to hear it and to be transformed by it, but not just to hear it and be transformed by it, to sit on it, but to boldly proclaim it. Be with us, I pray, through Christ. Amen. You know, there are, there are several places in Scripture that I think there are poignant words. Um, in, in, in fact, we could say that there's not a place in Scripture where the words are not poignant in some way, but some stories just stick with you, right? And the story of David and Goliath is a well-known story. We've all heard it probably so many times we could essentially just tell it almost verbatim. One of the more powerful things about that story to me is the simple, I'll call it simple, it's pretty complex, it's the simple phrase that David utters. Here's David, young Hebrew boy, a young boy, who is willing to go out and take the fight to Goliath. Now, in terms of physicality, there is no match here. <laughs> it's not a match. Goliath is this big, booming uh, giant of a man, and, and David is a young boy. And David makes note in that confrontation with Goliath. Remember, David chose five smooth stones and his sling. He goes out to this battle-hardened giant of a man who is armored and who's who's has weapons to the hilt, spears, javelin, swords. And you remember what David says to him? You come to me with speared, javelin, and sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. What David is doing is he's establishing his power is not physical. I don't need a sword to beat you. I don't need a spear to beat you. I don't need a shield to be defended from you because the power I come with is so much greater than all those things that your weapons are as nothing to me. So David is bold. He's courageous. I love that story because, that's, of course, that's a physical fight. Israel is trying to deal with the Philistines, trying to establish themselves in the land. But it's just this constant reminder from Scripture that we are locked in warfare. Who were the Philistines? They were the enemies of God. David is acknowledging that some spiritual power was behind them because he's telling them that the way that we're going to defeat you is by the power of the Spirit of God. Now, physically, they are going to beat them that way, but even in living in the land. And so we, we hear stories like that, and of course, there are many of them in the Bible. It reminds us that fighting God's enemies is unavoidable. It's unavoidable for us. There is no neutrality here. 
And when we, and when we find victory, when we experience victory, it's never a result of strength of arms. Never. It's a result of God's sovereign power. You had issues in your life, sin issues that, needed, that you needed victory in, and when you finally start experiencing victory, do you realize maybe you've read books along the way, maybe you've changed some of your habits, and those things are good things, but do you know why you have victory? Not because you've just read a book or changed some of your habits, it's because the Spirit of God is doing something in you. He's making that sin more and more bitter. So the, the key, the, the pathway to victory is spiritual. So there is no hope in weapons. There is hope solely in the name of the Lord. When we think about warfare mentality, it really is largely absent from the modern church. Now, you'll hear people talk about it some here and there, but it's just not, not the way our forebears did. I mean, in fact, Martin Luther thought, and I think he legitimately thought, that Satan whispered to him, that Satan tormented him, that he was constantly under the thumb of Satan because Martin Luther recognized even in the fight of his time, which was the Reformation, that there are spiritual powers at work in our world. Beloved, it was true then, it was true before then, and it's true now, and it will be true until Jesus comes back. But, it, you know, we, we just, we don't hear much about it. Our forebears did understand what it meant to fight, and they saw a real enemy doing real harm. So we, re, we receive Christ, and we trust in the gospel, right? If, when we do this, we need to understand that it is also a call to warfare. It's a call to fight. It's a call to live life under the banter of, uh, under the banner of Christ, knowing that's going to be hardship. So if we believe the gospel, if this morning, if I were to ask you, do you believe the gospel? Have you received it and imbibed it? And you said, yes, yes, I have. Then what I would say to you is you are called to fight for the kingdom of God. And I don't mean going fist fighting people. It's not the point. The point is to stand boldly for truth in a culture that wants to propel a lie. To, be, to say things that are theologically and biblically true when people don't want to hear it. To say them in the public square, to say it to family members, to say it to friends, to say it to the lost, to say it to the broken, say it to the, to the despairing, and say it again and again and again. These are the things that we are called to. We don't get to sit back on the sidelines. We couldn't. We can't. We are prepared. Right now, if you're in Christ this morning, you are prepared. You're equipped to do exactly what I'm telling you, and not because maybe you've gone to seminary like me or you went to Bible college or you've taught Bible studies. No, those things are great. Expanding our understanding of the Word is great, and you should be doing those things. But we are prepared because we have Christ, because we have the Spirit. And if our fight is not with flesh and blood, and it's not, then we need to be equipped by a power that can conquer in the spiritual world. The only power that's proven to do that ever is the power of Christ. So if we live for Christ, we follow his precepts, we're going to battle. We are going to battle. We are disciples. We are soldiers. And we are called for the hard task of standing for Christ in a culture that wants to see him excommunicated. We're disciples and soldiers, I said. We're followers and warriors, and we fight by the power of the cross. And so, with those thoughts in mind, there's one idea I want for to see this morning, and it's this, that our hope in battle 
is that we fight with the power of Christ, that our hope in battle is that we fight with the power of Christ. When, you, when we look at this, this passage out of Ephesians, it's very familiar. I'm sure many of you have read it many times and are very familiar with it. Maybe you can, even can quote it from memory. But I like when other passages of Scripture point to other passages of Scripture for our understanding so that when Daniel is dealing with the princes of Persia, or the prince of Greece, when we said that those are angels of a special type that can discuss at another time, as I told you last week, he's pulling the curtain back and letting us see in. That's exactly what Paul is doing. He's, Paul is now explaining that a little bit. So this is, could be, in some sense, a little bit of a commentary on what we're looking at in Daniel, the end of Daniel 10, when Daniel sees the spiritual warfare component that's going on that is fueling the other war between the nations. And so what Paul is trying to establish here is keeping in mind that who the real enemy is. So that's one thing, is who is the real enemy? And then two, how do we deal with that enemy? So we've got to know who we're fighting and how we're going to deal with that entity, that spirit, that power. We cannot get it drilled into our heads enough. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. We wrestle not with flesh and blood because how often in times of confrontation, and I'm preaching to myself here, so don't worry, does it become personal because we start wrestling with flesh and blood? It becomes personal because we're looking at the person in front of us. We no longer see the image of God. We see this person that is just frustrating me, making me angry, who's just being deliberately bullyish and, and stupid and, and ugh. Anybody else feel me? Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not really that angry, y'all, I promise. But it just, we get lost in the, in the confrontation because we start fighting with that person instead of with the philosophy and the power behind the arguments that they're trying to make. And see, Satan loves for us to do that because when I start fighting the person and not the idea, I diminish the image of God in that person. I start to be judgmental toward that person. And what happens when I start doing that? Beloved of God, the inevitable division. You're divided. There can't be, I mean, it's, there can be. There won't be unity because now it's not I'm dealing with your ideas. It's I just don't like you. And oh, for God's sake, for mercy's sake, may we take to heart this morning, drink in deeply. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. There's a spiritual power at work in our world which Christ has called and equipped us to wrestle with. And can I just say something right here? I'm going to. Christians, we let ourselves get divided over so many things, and if we wrestle not with flesh and blood in the world, for mercy's sake, let's don't treat our brothers and sisters uh, differently simply because we have a difference of opinion about something. Let us have difference of opinions. And let us not elevate our opinion to the status of this is righteous, and if you don't have it, you're wrong. Because what happens is we elevate our opinions to this status, and somebody might disagree with said opinion about whatever it is, and then all of a sudden you're locked into a battle with a person about your opinion on something, and it becomes personal. Can we pray and seek the Lord and say, whatever comes, I'm going to have disagreements with brothers and sisters, but for mercy's sake... I don't wrestle with flesh and blood, and I certainly don't wrestle with my brother and sister over something that can simply be reduced down to an opinion. Fight for truth. If you hear somebody spouting a lie, let's go after it. I don't mean punch them. 
I mean, you go after that idea. You go after that philosophy, and let's, let's talk hard about it. But let's keep those arguments, let's keep those debates, let's keep those things in the realm where they belong as we are dealing with ideas and not trying to take down people. The Lord will do his work in a person's heart if we can just be faithful to see this as an opportunity to share truth, pray, and move on. So let's encourage one another. The chapel's great. I'm not, I'm not trying to preach to a specific issue here on this, but let's just be mindful as we encourage one another, to encourage one another. And maybe you need to encourage somebody to dig a little deeper because maybe your opinion is right and they're wrong and they need to understand, and that's okay too. Having said all that, we are reinforced by Christ. That's what Paul is doing here. He's trying to give the Ephesian church some foundation to stand on. And so uh, this is a call to arms. This is a call to arms by Paul, and it's the summation of this letter. This is, he's summing up this letter by saying, I've given you all the ethical truths. I've given you all the theology. I've, I've laid down all the imperatives. That's the express commands of what you're supposed to do. Now, here's the sum of it. You're in a battle, and you're going to fight with the Lord's strength. So when he starts off in verse 10, finally, that word finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, that's a great thesis statement there. It's that he's saying this is the conclusion of the matter. This is the essence of our ethical response. What are we supposed to do in light of all this truth that we've learned in this book? Well, we're supposed to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And so when we, when we come to this, one of the first things we need to understand is that one of the primary agents of warfare in the Christian life is worship. What are we doing when we worship? Well, we are digging into the deep truths of God. We are giving God glory. It is, should not be lost on us that in ancient Israel, there was not a neat separation from war, warfare, warfare and worship. Those things often went together in some capacity. It does for us, too. When we are worshiping God, we are extolling Him, we are proclaiming truth, we're living truth, we're celebrating truth, and so that means that we are attacking what is false. When Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, you don't have to turn there, but in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, um, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That is another seminal thesis statement in the book of Ephesians. Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So when we're looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, Paul is bringing to completion this idea of what does it mean to walk worthy of God? We can't, I'm not going to rehearse 4 and 5. It's all there for you to read. What does it mean to walk worthy of God? Well, it means some things that he says there. That, but here it means standing in his strength and fighting what is not true. That we, this new life, look at it, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. It's all anchored in God's strength. That this new life depends on God's strength. That we are walking in him. That preposition is spatial. It means we're moving in a direction, that we are moving into Christ and walking in Him. That's the point. But this first clear command is given that there be strong. It's an imperative command, and as I've said before, an imperative express command. And the, uh, the way that it's written, the implication is it's a continuous command. 
We're supposed to continuously be strong, but in whose strength? Not ours, the Lord's. It's interesting. I'm going I'm to give you a little grammar here. When Paul writes this, that imperative, he makes it passive. And why? Because passive means he's not the doer of the action. He's the recipient of it. So he's telling you, we're commanded to be strong, but it's not any strength that we have. It comes from another place. And he declares who it comes from. It's in the Lord. It's in His might that we are strong. And so he's trying to get rid of us or, or disabuse us of this notion that to be Christians, we just have to be real strong and mighty. No, 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 no. We are weak. We come weak because God is strong, and we're strong in Him, you see. We have God's strength. The source of our strength is in the Lord. It's, it is Christ that we walk in dependence upon Christ. We don't muster it up on it. We don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. This is a call to know the Lord and to live by the power of the Lord. In fact, we can't separate it from Jesus' uh, instruction to his disciples in John 15 to abide in his vine, to remain in him, to abide in him, to live by his strength, by his precepts, to imbibe his truth, to live by what we know is true. Beloved, can I tell you, and, and, and there, you know, I'm not going to try to say this age is worse than the last age. Every age is evil in and of itself. We, we deal in a culture that loves death, a culture of death, and a culture that loves lies. It loves to skew the truth. It loves to shade things differently so that people are deceived. And we are called to live in this culture, to live in this world, obviously, as John says, but not be of it, but to live here and to be people of truth, to be reflections of the truth of God. And that's going to take courage. But you know what else it takes? It takes something that does not come natural to us. It takes a bold, it takes a divine boldness, something beyond our own capacity that emboldens us to be honest, to be truthful, and to do so knowing that we might pay a price for it. I still can think of my brother in China, the pastor of a church who just refused to capitulate, and he's serving 10 years in prison because he would not break from the truth. We are in a battle. We are in a battle. Be strong in the Lord and in the power or strength of his might. Paul says, we live by God's grace. It's not like we're mixing in a little bit of our goodness so that it completes the picture. No, 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 no. What do we bring to the table? As I said last week, we bring nothing. We bring our weakness. We bring our brokenness. We bring our sin. And God offers grace. Now, that grace should do something in us, right? In other words, we can't stay at this place that if we're new creatures in Christ, yes, we still live in a broken world. But that grace is meant to compel us to live for Christ, the whole put off and put on thing, yeah, we've, we've got a job to do. We don't earn our righteousness, but we obey Christ in a world that would seek disobedience, in a world that seeks rebellion. So his, the work is wholly His. Our success is, is wholly His. And the greatness of Christ is our hope, not our capacity to follow the rules. Obedience is good. We should be obedient. But our hope is in the obedience of Christ. And let me make that clear in case it's not. We will fight only by the power of Christ. 
We will stand only by the power of Christ. We are victorious only by the power of Christ, and we will do works that honor Christ by the power of Christ. Paul gives a second clear commandment. So be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Why was God given the vision to Daniel? To strengthen him with the truth, to let him know what's happening. Now here's the second command. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Again, this is another express command. But the way this one's written, it wasn't just It's not just do it and keep doing it. It's like do it now. Do it right now. Put on the armor of God right now. In other words, don't be slow in putting on the armor of God. Equip yourself immediately because this is, we're in a war. We have a battle. It's this urge, urging, Paul is urging us to do it now. So it's interesting here. Paul has said be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I find it interesting that we're, how do we, how are we strong in the Lord? Well, through his armor. We are strong in the Lord by means of the armor that he gives us for defense, for protection. How do we stand in the Lord in the strength of his might, by his strength? Brad, you're being a little repetitive. You keep telling us that this is all of the Lord, as does Paul, because we are dull and and we forget these things. Some of our our most despairing uh, moments in life is when we're trying to do so much in and of ourselves and not by the power of the Spirit. I find that when I am not at a good place, I have often tried to do things by Brad's strength and not by the Spirit of God. How will Brad stand? By the Spirit of God. How will Brad fight? By the Spirit of God. How will Brad dispel lies? By the Spirit of God. And those things are also true of you. Because Satan does come with lies. And you know what I'm talking about. And it often sounds so real. Those lies that we hear in our own heads that sound so much like our voice. Beloved, what will we do in those moments? We can either give in to them, and we sometimes do, I sometimes do. Or we can start combating them. This is a spiritual battle. And I'm going to combat this with the weapon of warfare that I have at my fingertips the Word of God. We need the Word of God this morning and every day. When he says put on the whole armor of God, we're so acclimated to start thinking through the armor. But let me tell you in the book of Ephesians, that actually reaches back a little bit further back here. So when he says put on the whole armor of God, I want you to understand that it is, not, it is very similar to Ephesians 5.1 where Paul tells us to be imitators of God. So when Paul, is, he's, he's kind of linking these two ideas together. In, in 5.1, he tells us to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. What is an imitator of God? Someone who, who imitates the, the good qualities of God, who is merciful, who is righteous, who is um, gracious, who is kind and humble. All you think of any of the fruits of the Spirit would be a great way to imitate God. When we're putting on the armor of God, we are living in the imitation of God. In other words, now we are clothing ourselves in God's character. And so what is our first primary defense against sin? Well, if I'm clothing myself in God's character, I'm going to be less apt 
to be irritable or to be lustful or to be hateful or to be deceitful or to be all the things that would make me live out the works of the flesh. And so when we're talking about putting on the armor of God, it is very similar to saying we are living in the imitation of God. We are living in the imitation of God. What is our best weapon against lies? It's truth. And so if that's true, and I want to live my life in the imitation of God, I'm already ready for battle because I have set on the armor. I am ready for the false ideas and arguments that are going to come at me, and I'm going to be a conduit of truth to my world. Is it easy? No. Is it possible? Absolutely it's possible because the Spirit of God lives in you this morning if you call Christ Lord. So we're called to clothe ourselves with God's means of protection. What is our, our best protection that we have? Beloved, it's the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Christ. We are clothed in the blood of Christ as we've been anointed, called to Him through His blood for the purpose of life. You have no greater gift in your life than that. We're called to clothe ourselves by putting on the armor of God with God himself. As I've already stated, be like God. Be an imitator of God. Clothe yourself in his righteous character. Beloved, will we do that perfectly? No, and we'll mess up from time to time. But when we get it through our heads that what X in front of me is not my enemy, it's the power behind it, we become more attentive to putting on the armor of God, to clothing ourselves in righteousness. Because when I realize it's not a person in front of me that I have to defeat in an argument. It's a horrible, false idea behind that person, worked by a, a power not even of that person that needs to be dealt with. This person in front of me needs to be redeemed if they're not redeemed. If they are redeemed and they're just mistaken, then they need to be informed. They don't need to be attacked. They don't need to be, you know, talked down to, demeaned. They need help. Just like you or I, when we get into conversations and someone recognizes a flaw or an error, we need to be helped to know what's right, to know what's true, to know what's good. And so, this call to put on the armor of God is a call to clothe ourselves in the righteous character of God. Because God alone empowers one to stand. So, put on the whole armor of God. This is a causal statement for the cause of or for the purpose of that you will then be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Satan is crafty, and how do we deal with that? I mean, he's had years of experience. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with his accusations? That's his primary tool against you, just so you know, is to accuse, to whisper. He's a whisperer. He's an accuser. We repel him by Christ. But I find it interesting that James, in his, in his letter, says something somewhat similar to this. It's different, but, but similar idea. In James chapter 4, verse 7, he says, he tells us uh, to resist the devil, we have to first submit to God. If we are going to resist the devil and he flee from us, first we must submit to God. So there is an aspect of this. How do we stand? This is, this is a beautiful picture. How do we stand in Christ through submission. <laughs> How do we stand strong in Christ? Through real and genuine submission. And when we live in submission, when we live in that submission, 
we have a powerful tool against the devil because then, James says, along with Paul here, that is how we resist. Our resistance is not choking the devil. It's not trying to fight the devil. Our resistance begins in our submission to God. Isn't that so cool that for us to even have a, a chance to resist, we must first submit, not to the devil, but to God. And so that's what kind of Paul is getting at here. Because if we're, if we're, if we're going to put on the armor of God, there's got to be submission. And if we're not going to live in submission, we're not going to be strong. We're not going to make a stand. We're not going to resist. When I think of this, we see this lived out in Judas Iscariot. Why did he ultimately give in to Satan and betray Christ? Because he ultimately wasn't submitted. He had not submitted like the, even though Peter made a horrific mistake in his denial of Jesus, but there was genuine submission so that there could be genuine repentance. Submission is huge. It's not a word we like in our culture. You know, who are you to tell me to submit? We don't like that word. It's a beautiful biblical word, and when done properly, it's a beautiful biblical thing. So then Paul continues, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the true nature of our struggle, Paul says it right here very clearly, supernatural. As I've already said many times, humans are not our enemy. The power that fuels the wicked is. That's, that's what the real enemy is. It's the spiritual powers that he just lays out here that fuels the wickedness in our world. So in other words, when we, when we, when we do become convinced that the humans are not our enemy, we can pray for the vilest of, of people and hope that the Lord would win their hearts and souls. You know, when we see issues like when the, the fellow, I think it was back in 2015, went and shot up the church, I, it was racial, the crime was racially motivated. Do you remember how many of the people who were family members of the victims proclaimed forgiveness to that guy? That's powerful when Christians can do that. Do you know why they're able to do it? One, because they're grace-infused. Two, because I think they have this understanding that that young man did horrendous things, but there is a greater power at work in him that's fueling him that needs to be redeemed. I hope he stays in jail for the rest of his life. I would love for him to be redeemed and to know what it means to be liberated from hatred, to be liberated from all the evil that's plaguing his mind and heart, the lies he's believed. And that should be our posture towards anybody who's in that situation. Is that easy? No. No, it is not. In fact, it's not even natural. That type of power to forgive does not come from us. That comes from the Spirit of God. So when we re realize that, we can pray for even the vilest among us. See, all this is not, there is no neutral party here. If you're in Christ this morning, we are called to struggle. We're engaged in a war. We're engaged in a, in a cosmic battle for souls. So we struggle for people, not against them. We struggle for others, not against them. This is why keeping straight in our minds about the importance of the image of God being imprinted on every human being is that's what makes them valuable. That's why we fight for life in the womb. That's why we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities. That's why we fight for the sanctity of life, because we understand the value of it. 
as it is in the image of God. Beloved, that's no true for a baby in the womb and a person you're talking to, having a conversation with. When we, so if we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against the powers, or against, rather against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, the, when, we see, when we see it this way, when we see it this clearly, we see the nature of our enemy, what it does, what it shows us is why we need the power of Christ as our strength, because we are fighting a power, a satanic power. We fight a lie of Satan. We fight that with truth. And so since we look at verse 12 and we recognize that the enemy that we face far surpasses us in strength, it just tells us that good southern phrase, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. At the end of the day, we need Jesus because we're not going to get past it without it. Paul wraps up just, I'm going to stop here at verse 13 this morning. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to, having done all to stand firm. So he reiterates his command to take up God's armor here. Again, it's an express command. And so he repeats it so we understand that it's important. Like, in other words, this is not, I'm telling you, take up the whole armor of God a while ago, he said in verse 11, he said, put on the whole armor of God. It's the same idea, both same, same type of urgency there. So it's letting us know this is important. This is an important aspect of our lives to take up the armor of God so that you will be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, he says, to, and having done all, to stand firm. So the armor of God, we said, it's God's, it's God's protection. I said it's kind of putting on the righteous character of God. I want to go one step further with it now. So the armor of God in, in this particular paragraph, it does two things, two Ps. It protects, right? It protects us from the onslaught of the enemy, but it also provides something for us. It brings a provision to our lives. So it protects us, and it brings provision to our lives. In this way, do you know what Paul is doing? He's reverting back to his covenant theology just a little bit. When God made covenant with Abraham, do you remember what he told Abraham? I will be a shield for you, was one of his covenant promises. What is Paul telling us to do here? To live in the reality of the covenant promises of God to Abraham and all those who have the faith of Abraham. And so Paul is appealing to this covenant promise of God to be a shield for, for us and saying, hey, beloved, live in the power of God's promise. God has made a promise to be a shield for you. Don't neglect that. Don't try to live outside that. Live behind it. What a beautiful promise. So the, the armor, it, it, it protects us from the onslaught of the enemy, and it provides exactly what we need to stand firm. And only in God can we take our stand as we ought. Only in God, only in Christ. Daniel, when he was seeing these visions, he understood that God was going to have to do something among the people. In fact, that's why he prophesies the coming of the Messiah, because God has to do something magnificent to help his people. But you see, there's a tight logic here in Paul, and it's always true of Paul. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. We've got another causal statement here. For the cause that you may be, or because you may be able he uses the word that, but it's causal, that you may be able to withstand the evil day. What, 
What, what do we need to stand? Well, Paul is tying our obedience to Christ with our capacity to stand. In other words, if I'm walking in obedience to Christ, however imperfectly, I have a much greater chance of standing than if I'm walking in sin and the onslaught continues to come. Because if I'm already down, I'm going to stay down. But if I'm up in Christ, being buoyed by Christ and walking in Christ, then it's much harder for me to be brought back down. That's Paul's point. So if we want to truly stand, we need to be walking in the Word, living in the Word, obeying the Word. And I want to make sure we clear something up here. He says that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now I want to make sure we understand exactly what that means. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean so that when you've done everything possible, all that your little body could take, when you've finally done it all, then Christ is going to come lift you up and help you stand. That's not what Paul means here. The all there is very specific. He's just given us several, several pieces of, of vital information that we need to be strong in the Lord and in His strength, that's one, that we need to put on the whole armor of God. Oh, by the way, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. And again, so put on the whole armor of God that you'll be able to stand the evil day. And when you've done those things, stand firm. That is an imperative command. When you've done, when you've put on the armor, when you've located yourself in Christ, when you've done those things, stand firm, express command, because now you will stand firm. You will be ready to wage war with the enemy of your soul. You will be ready to deal with false arguments and false ideas because you will have done exactly what God has called you to do as a Christian. Will we do it perfectly? No. Beloved, everything we do is going to be tainted in some way, shape, or form because we're humans. But this is our best shot of what it means to stand and walk in the Lord. It's right here. This little framework, this little frame right here is giving us the clearest communication there is about the battle that we have And how do we walk victoriously in it? So we follow the Lord's instruction and we stand in it. It's a clarion call to say, don't be moved from the truth. Don't be moved from the truth. And I urge you, as I urge myself daily, that we not be moved from the truth. We are called to fight, not by our cunning, not by our wit, not by our cleverness, not by our strength. Revelation makes clear to worship is to be in war, and the strength to fight is ultimately drawn from worship, from our time spent with the Lord. David's defeat of Goliath was a testimony to God, not David's power. We're bound to fight not only by the power that we possess, or not by the power that we possess, it is the power of Christ in our struggles in our home, at our work, in life in general are all spiritual in nature. They are. And the victory in them is ours in Christ. And once we understand that we are fighting a battle with evil and not the people in front of us, we can focus our energies on advocating truth and not winning arguments. We fight, but it must be a fight from our own weakness so that the power of Christ can shine all the brighter. And we are fighting not with flesh and blood, but against the cosmic powers, the rulers, the authorities, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Well, if we are called to stand firm on truth, may we all do it. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for this word this morning and the clarity of it. Thank you for the truth therein. 
and the encouragement for us to fight, to fight in your strength, by your power, for your purposes, that you may receive glory. Thank you so much that you have given us the tools, the opportunities to make our stand for you. May we do it, Father. May we do it with humility, with boldness, and out of love even for the people around us so that truth can go forward. It is through Christ we pray. Amen.